Well, for our scripture reading, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. I'll begin reading at verse 36 to the end of the chapter. That can be found on page... If I don't have the page number there, just a second. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 36. Page 1082. And then we're going to look at the Forms and Prayers book. I invite you to open that up now. We're not going to read it since we read it together last week, but I'm going to refer to it in this sermon Page 227. Let us now hear God's word. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask his blessing in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is teaching the church of Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it, walking in a manner worthy of the calling that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we pray that you would be exalted, O Lord, your name be proclaimed, and that Jesus be manifested through the preaching of the Holy Gospel, and that your Spirit bring about a deepened faith in you and your Gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Congregation of Christ, the promise of the Holy Spirit falls upon the Apostles and disciples, as they were waiting in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit, as Jesus had foretold. That day had come on the day of Pentecost. You remember the day of Pentecost, when many Jews or religious men would come into the city on this festive holiday to offer the first fruits of the harvest 
It's a day of celebration, a day of God's favor. And on this day of Pentecost, Jesus and the Father, the Father and the Son, send forth the Spirit of God upon the church of Jesus Christ. And the apostles and disciples and believers become filled with the Spirit. And what happens? They start speaking in tongues. That is, they start speaking in languages not their own. Truly a miraculous sight to see and to hear. The people in the crowd, many people in the crowd, were amazed and marveled at what was happening. Some said, oh, these men must be drunk on wine. Peter's like, it's it's nine in the morning. They're not drunk on wine, but let me tell you what is going on here. And so Paul, or Peter rather, preaches his powerful sermon using the text from Joel's prophecy. That in the last days it shall be declared, says the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. On your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. This day has come. The prophecy of Joel is fulfilled in the coming of the Spirit. And then look with me in your Bible at verse 36. After Peter preaches on the prophecy of Joel, he also preaches on David's son and David's Lord, who is Jesus. He has come. David's son and David's Lord has come. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And at verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter doesn't pull any punches there, does he? He does. Consequently, the people were cut to the heart, or rather, as some translations said, they were pierced through the heart. That's a really good translation. They were pierced through the heart. This word pierced is not used often. It's, in fact, only used once in the New Testament. But it has this idea of being deeply or thoroughly pained, emotionally pierced, psychologically pierced and pricked, emotionally stunned. It's like they were stunned with a stunner, a stun gun. They were shocked in their soul at what they heard. But notice, they were cut to the heart, or they were pierced through the heart. That's passive. So who pierced them? Well, the Holy Spirit pierced them. The promise of the Spirit came, and the the Spirit works through the preaching ministry of the Word, as we heard last week. The Spirit cut them to the heart. Now, I've never had someone interrupt my sermon and say to me, after having been cut to the heart, Pastor Rossi, what shall I do? Although that would be very interesting, wouldn't it? But that's what happens here. That's what happens. They are cut to the heart. So much so that they interrupt Peter and, and say, what shall we do, brothers? 
What shall we do? In verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. The promise here is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So the gift of the Spirit is for those whom God calls to himself through the preaching ministry of the Word and by the power of the Spirit. Peter says, repent and be baptized. To repent is to have a, ch- is to have a change of mind, to think differently afterwards, to turn from unbelief to belief, to turn from idolatry to the worship of the one true God. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. The Spirit convicts the believer of sin, and the believer has a godly sorrow then for sin and desires to run from it. Peter says, repent. What shall you do? Repent. Turn from sin and turn to Christ. But then he says this, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. And then at verse 41, so those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That is, those who believed in the gospel received baptism, water baptism, having been admitted into Christ's church through this visible sacrament. And then we see in verses, look with me in your Bible, verses 42, 44, or 43, 42 to 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see that? The breaking of bread. Literally, the breaking of the bread. They were partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so I was just thinking about Lord's Day 25, question and answer 66, what are the sacraments? Okay, what text do we see this clearly? And we see this in this passage. Repent and be baptized. And what happens when they were baptized and admitted into the church of Jesus Christ? They were under the apostles' teaching and partook of what? The Lord's Supper. You have two sacraments that were practiced immediately upon conversion by the people of God. In our scripture reading, the Holy Spirit works faith in hearts by the preaching of the word, that invisible, internal grace of God in the sinner's hearts. But then we have the visible means of grace, in the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The visible sign and seal of the invisible grace of God, right here in this passage. And we're going to begin for the next few weeks talking about and learning about these sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, 
This evening, however, instead of looking at baptism in particular or the Lord's Supper in particular, we're just going to look at sacraments in general. What are they? So what are sacraments? Is the word sacrament even found in the Bible? It isn't. Just like the word Trinity isn't found in the Bible, yet we believe in the Trinity, the word sacrament isn't found in the Bible either, but we believe it is biblical. It was originally used in the military to denote a military soldier's oath as he solemnly pledged to obey his commanding officer. It was a pledge of obedience to follow their commander. But then in time, the church took hold of this word sacrament and it became known as mystery. We use the word sacrament to refer to a holy thing with a hidden meaning. A holy thing with a hidden meaning. Think about what's done in the Lord's Supper. We have bread and wine. What's the difference between having bread and wine in the church than having it at home? There's a big difference, isn't it? Something is different about it. There's something holy that takes place in the sacrament that is distinct of having bread and wine in the home. So there's mystery there. We call the sacraments signs and seals. Look with me in your Forms and Prayers book, page 227. Sacraments are visible, holy, signs and seals. My question and answer 66. What are sacraments? Sacraments are visible, holy, signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, He might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and seal that promise. And this is God's gospel promise. He grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. They are visible, holy signs and seals of an invisible grace of God that has already been established, worked out in our hearts by the power of God through the gospel. That's why last week I started this Lord's Day, with the preaching of the Word and how the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts because we need to get that first before we talk about the sacraments. So we see that these sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are signs and seal. What is a sign? A sign or symbol points to promises. For example, the sign of God's covenant with Noah and all the living, otherwise known as the covenant of preservation, is the rainbow. It points to the, the promise, God's verbal promise, not to destroy all living things. And he attached to that promise, that verbal promise, a visible sign that points to the verbal promise. 
So when you see the rainbow, you remember the word of promise, the word of God that he will not destroy all flesh. The rainbow is a nonverbal sign, a visible sign, but a nonverbal sign. God confirms his word of promise to us by way of sight, using our senses. At Genesis chapter 17, Abraham received the sign of circumcision. And at Romans 4, Paul expounds on Genesis 17 when he clearly teaches that Abraham believed God and it was a credit to Abraham as righteousness. Circumcision didn't save him, but rather it was a sign that pointed to, 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 to God's promise that the righteous shall live by faith. Paul says in Romans 4, verse 11, if you're taking notes, he received, that is, Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It pointed to a circumcision of the heart. Abraham's heart was circumcised. He believed God. And circumcision outwardly, visibly pointed to that very promise that he received. Now when we get to baptism in a few weeks, we'll talk about why circumcision was given to little babies, children. God, who knows the weakness and frailty of our flesh and even our faith, gives us holy, visible signs to confirm, as we read in the Catechism, confirm. Look with me at uh, question and answer 67. Are both the Word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and confirms by the holy sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Elsewhere in Acts, Baptism points to the cleansing, the washing away of sins. And this visible outward sign points to that cleansing. More on that in a few weeks. But it is for our good, for our faith, the deepening of our faith, the strengthening of our faith. It doesn't create faith or work faith like the Holy Spirit works faith. Rather, it builds upon the faith that the Holy Spirit already created in us or worked in us. It strengthens what's already there. During a wedding ceremony, the bride and groom exchanges wedding vows. 
promises are made to one another. They're looking at each other, they're all giddy, and it's a nice moment for a couple and family to see a married couple come together and say vows. Rings are exchanged. A ring is a sign of the covenant of marriage between two people. It's an outward visible sign or symbol of what? An inward love and commitment for your spouse. It points to something. It points to the vows that were made verbally exchanged. The ring is a visible object, act, by which the verbal is confirmed. The ring becomes a sign closely connected to the vows. And in other traditions, other countries, they don't exchange rings. They have other things that they exchange. But you get the point. There's some kind of symbol that's involved, a sign of the word promise, the word oath made between couples. So that a husband, every time you look at your ring, mine was lost. Hopefully it will be found. Every time you look at your ring, what do you think of? The close bond you have with your wife. The vows that you made with your wife. So that in good times and in bad, you look at your ring and you remember the vows. Wives, same thing. Every time you look at your ring, you remember your vows. In good times and in bad, in riches and in poverty, you remember the oath, the word of promise spoken in the marriage ceremony. The sacraments are a sign that point to the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The internal work of grace in our hearts is confirmed through us through an outward visible sign. That's why we call them means of grace. Ways in which God communicates his grace to us to strengthen our faith. They are signs. They are also seals. In addition to sacraments uh, being holy, visible signs, they are also holy, visible seals. What are seals? That means that these these. Um, sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper are seals of authenticity. Just like the President of the United States, when he sends a declaration, his stamp of approval is put on that declaration. In the old days, they would, a king would write out his letter of declaration, close it up, put wax on it, and he would put his symbol that is on his ring and press it down so that the deliverer knew that he was delivering that declaration in the name of the king and that the people could know that this was sealed, it was declared by the king. That's what these sacraments are. They are seals of the divine king, your heavenly king, who's making promises to you. 
that you can know for certain that what is taking place in the sacraments are true and for your good, spiritual good. The sacraments are signs and seals. Now, we need to remember that in the Heidelberg Catechism, when these were written, these Lord's Days were written, they were wrestling against the theology of the Catholic Church and other uh, sacramental theology that was different than the Reformed Churches. And so the Catholic Church believed that the sacraments are outward signs of an inward grace instituted by Christ for our sanctification. However, for the Roman Catholic Church, the sacraments are the means to receive the grace of God and sanctification with the goal of justification. Don't make the mistake and say that Catholics are saved by works, like feeding the homeless and and such things like that, because a knowledgeable Catholic will not claim that. The works that are talked about is the work of the sacraments. The sacraments are what infuse God's divine grace into sinners' lives, sanctifying them with the purpose of justifying them. Are you following me? Where we believe that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. God justifies. And He sanctifies those whom He justifies. And so it's absolutely essential that the sacraments are taken by the faithful in the Catholic Church in order to achieve justification. And baptism for them is that initial step of justification. And so this is what the Reformed churches, the Reformers were battling against in the church. That we are justified by faith alone. By God's grace through faith. And so we see the difference, how the Reformed churches viewed the sacraments as signs and seals, these outward visible signs and seals that point to an invisible grace created in our heart, worked in our hearts by the power of the Spirit. Don't forget last week's sermon on that. So then why the sacraments? Why are they needed? Belgic Confession, Article 33, says this. We believe that our good God, mindful of our crudeness and weakness, has ordained sacraments for us to seal His promises in us, to pledge His goodwill and grace toward us, and also to nourish and sustain our faith. He has added these to the word of the gospel to represent better to our external senses. Because of our weakness and crudeness, our weak faith, he has added these outward visible signs and seals to the word of the gospel to represent better to our external senses. In other words, the sacraments serve as aids for our faith. Visible aids 
to our faith. To better confirm the promises of God. To feed our faith in tangible, concrete ways. For example, some of you may have a hard time hearing me right now. Maybe from the back, the far west corner there. You can hear me dimly. You can still hear me, but you can't hear me that as good as you want to. So we add another speaker back there so you can hear me even better. God adds these visible sacraments so that we use our senses, our eyes, our mouths, our taste, so that we take in the promise of the gospel. We hear with our ears the word of the gospel. We believe, yes, but he gives us these outward signs and seals so that we hear better. God engages our senses with the gospel through sacraments. What we see with our eyes, think about this, what you see with your eyes impacts you, doesn't it? What you see with your eyes speaks to you, doesn't it? What you see on the news, what you see in the world, it speaks to you a message. What we touch and taste impacts our senses. And we remember. All right, let's be honest. How many of you remember a great meal you had? Seriously. You remember a great meal you had. You remember your favorite food. How many of you remember something beautiful you set your eyes on? God uses our senses. He wants us to see and to taste the beauty of Jesus Christ through sacraments. And the sacraments have one message that the catechism rightly teaches, and it points to the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. It points to the cross of Jesus and his sacrifice for our sins, and this is confirmed in our hearts through faith in him. The sacraments must, must be received in faith. When you are baptized or witness the baptism, we see the power of new birth by the Spirit and the cleansing power of Christ's blood. God seals a promise in this sign. The same is true with the Lord's Supper. God engages our senses. Why does God have to provide these outward visible signs and seals? And this is a common argument in Christian churches. Isn't the word of God enough? Isn't it effectual? Isn't it sufficient? Well, absolutely. 
The thief on the cross wasn't baptized, nor did he ever partake of the Lord's Supper, and we, he entered paradise. Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise, and so he went. The sacraments are pointless without the word. If there is no word of God, then the sign is meaningless and points to nothing. Louis Burkhoff wrote this, The word of God can exist and is also complete as a means of grace without the sacraments. But the sacraments cannot exist and are not complete without the word. The word is intended to beget and to strengthen faith, while the sacraments can only strengthen it. See what he's saying? The sacraments can't create faith. As we saw in our text from Peter's preaching, it was the word of God by the power of the Spirit that created faith, worked faith. The sacraments followed. The catechism makes a very important point that the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts. And apart from the word, there is no ability to know him and to believe in his name. And the sacraments then become pointless and useless. I think I heard, too, that Calvin once said the sacraments would be stupid without the word. Why the sacraments? Who instituted the sacraments? Well, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, instituted them. And we learn this in Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore into all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Lord's Supper is practiced in our text here this morning in Acts chapter 2. They sat under the preaching and teaching ministry of the Word and partook of the breaking of the bread, which was the, the ancient church's way of saying the Lord's Supper. The apostles obeyed their master and Lord and administered the very sacraments that their Lord instituted. Who partakes of the sacraments? This question will be addressed in, addressed in upcoming sermons when we look closely at baptism and the Lord's Supper. For now I'll say that Christ did not institute the signs and seals of the new covenant in his blood to the world, to unbelievers, but to the church of Jesus Christ. They are set apart for his bride, the church, and to be administered and practiced by the church and her officers. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. I want to close with this congregation, before we partake of the Lord's Supper, when the elements have been distributed, you remember the words that are spoken. Take, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Think about the wording of that. Take, you're receiving The body represented in the bread. You eat, take, eat, 
as you eat, remember. Remember the promise of God that just as surely as you take into your mouth and you taste the bread, you smell the bread, you touch the bread, you taste and see that the Lord is good. That you know that as surely as you take in your hand and put it in your mouth and you taste it, you know that Jesus paid for your sins. God is good in that way. To not only work faith in our hearts, but use very tangible, concrete ways to show and demonstrate His love for us in the Son. It's not a superstitious act, but there is mystery. There is a real presence of Christ by His Spirit when when the participant takes of the bread by faith alone. We eat. We take, eat, remember the promise of God, and believe. And then the wine. First was the bread. We remember the sacrifice of Christ with His bruised and beaten body on the cross for you and me, Christian. We partake in that one body. And our sins have been crucified with Him. Crucified, nailed to the cross. And we remember that and we believe it. And we're strengthened by faith. And our faith through the partaking of it. But then we have the the wine. Take, drink. Drink. This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many, for the complete forgiveness of sins. That as you take and drink, you remember that His blood was shed for you, Christian. That just as surely as you drink, you know His blood has cleansed you of all your sins. You are washed in the blood. And you are His. You belong to Him. And you receive it by faith and faith alone. You smell, you taste, you drink, and you remember what Jesus did for you. The sacraments are a beautiful gift to the people of God. But without the Word of God, and without the Spirit working faith through the Word and the preaching of it, the sacraments have no meaning. And so receive the word and the sacraments with gratitude to God and to the glory of his name. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for blessing your church by your mercy and grace to receive the word and to be cut through the heart, pierced through the heart by the power of your Spirit, to receive the Word and to receive holy baptism, that sacrament of the church that reminds us of spiritual cleansing and renewal, and for the sacrament of the breaking of the bread that the Christians of old participated in and that the church today participates in. 
being reminded and confirmed and strengthened in faith. That your, pro- your promise, your word of promise is true. Oh Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your word divine. And for giving us eyes and ears to hear and believe and receive the word of promise. And for the great privilege we have to be fed in our faith through the holy sacraments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.